My name is, uh, let's pick up this on, yeah. My name is Aaron Coffey, and um, we are coming to join with you this, this week, and we're excited about that. And um, I don't know if you can tell, I'm not from around here. I'm from down south. And uh, there you go, there you go. Are you from down south? Hey, there we go, there we go. Well, I'm from North Carolina. I was born in Tennessee, but then I, uh, I, I, I was raised in North Carolina. I was educated in South Carolina, so I was southern born and I was southern bred. And when I die, I'll be southern dead. I'm from down south, okay? But um, I'm coming up here. Uh, I'm up here this summer um, working uh, in, the, in the greater Detroit area working with uh, area churches just like yours, and we have uh, just excited to see what the Lord's going to do with our time with you um, this week. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians chapter number 1. The book of Philippians chapter number 1 is where we're going to be this evening, and I just want to kind of give you a little background and uh, kind of give you some overall thoughts as to what Paul is getting at with these people. We're going to spend most of our time, although I'm going to go throughout the book, um, we're, going to, we're going to spend most of our, I mean, uh, not, we're going to go throughout the first chapter. I'm going to spend most of my time on verses 27 down through verse 30. He says this, only let your conversation, I'm reading out of, the, uh, out of uh, King James here. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of their perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we look at His Word here this evening. Father, we come. Lord, would You work? Lord, would You um, help us this evening as we take a look at Your Word? Um, Lord, would You challenge us? Would You convict us? Um, Lord, um, of maybe our lacking, but at the same time challenge us as to our need and then embolden us as to Your grace that enables um, and Lord, I pray that you will help us to be about the business that you have called the church to be, and that is striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that as we see here, this is a way in which we live worthy of the gospel we call our own, that we claim. And so I pray that you will help us, Lord, and Lord, uh, that this, will, this week will require some sacrifice on everyone's part if we're going to do this. Lord, this week will require some faith to believe that you will do things that, um, Lord, um, are beyond what we can do. And so, God, we just commit it to you, and we pray that you will work. And, Lord, that, um, that we will just have a great, a great time this evening, Lord, looking at your word, that we'll be encouraged. And that we'll have a great week together for the sake of your name and, and, and your gospel. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Um, let's just kind of talk about this church in Philippi here for a few minutes. The church in Philippi is a very unique church. Um, this, is a, this is a unique book. Uh, we'll kind of do a little background on this because I think you'll enjoy that today. 
Um, the book of uh, the, the city of Philippi was a unique city. It was a Roman colony that was not in Rome. It was outside of Rome. It was a Roman colony. Um, they were there was a bit of pride. Paul a couple different times taps into it, especially in chapter three. You can you can pick up on it. Um, and he uses this sense of pride that they have being a Roman colony. They were not in Rome, but they were Roman colony. They, they it was at a time when Rome ruled the world. And so they, uh, they, there was some things that that gave to them that, uh, that, that, that they were very excited about. And uh, they didn't pay taxes because they were Roman citizens. They, they, had rights that, uh, they, were, they had rights that other places, even the next town over, did not have because they were a Roman colony in the midst of this Roman Empire. And so this is who Philippi was. Paul comes into Philippi, and man, there's a revival that breaks out and breaks out quickly. Um, People start getting saved. There's a church that's formed. Now, it wasn't easy. There was persecution. There was quick persecution. He goes on from there and he goes to Thessalonica. The trouble that he had stirred up in Philippi was so bad that they followed him to Thessalonica and stirred up trouble for him in Thessalonica, and he had to leave there as well. Um, but there's some, there, one of the most unique things about this church, unlike any other church in the New Testament, we know people in this church better than any other church in the New Testament. And that's not an accident. If you go to the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, it tells us about this church. Unlike other churches, it tells us more than any other church some individuals in this church. First of all, there was a lady that gets saved shortly after Paul is there. She was, uh, the Bible calls her a seller of purple. Does anybody remember what her name was? Lydia, yeah. Um, Most commentators, historians, believe that this purple dye that she sold was expensive. Most would would say that this lady had her own little enterprise, her own little business, and she sold. And most would actually put her at this day and age as, as probably a fairly wealthy lady, perhaps a, a, a lady that was well-known, a high-class lady in Philippi. But she gets saved. She's a part of this church that Paul's writing to. Right after that, there's another salvation. I really believe this was a salvation that takes place. It was a little slave girl. She's going around and she's demon-possessed, and she's bugging Paul and the other apostles to the point Paul turns around and rebukes the spirit that's in her, the evil spirit, and then her, her owners get all upset because Paul has done this. And, but then we find this little girl standing with them. Um, I believe this little girl gets saved. I believe that's the, the, the point of this story in the book of Acts. So you have a high-class lady who gets saved as a part of this church. You have this little low-class slave girl. Then you have a middle-class a middle class social worker and his whole family. Remember him? The Philippian jailer. Folks, do, do, you know what, do you know what is very intentional God wanted us to know about this church? Is This church was very diverse. This church had high-class people. This, this church had low-class people. This church had middle-class people. It's no wonder that as you come to the book of Philippians, you know what you find as a theme that continues throughout, especially this first chapter, over and over and over again, Paul talks about it. He brings it up really again in the fourth chapter, a theme of there being a unity among these people. There being a unity. It's in the first and second chapter, and then not as much in the third, but then in the fourth. A unity. These people are to be unified. Now, what I want to do here is I I want to... I want to look at where Paul starts tapping into this in verse number 27 down through 30. Um, another, there's lots of unique things about this book. This book is 85% autobiographical, unlike any other of Paul's 
uh, epistles. He talks about himself more than he talks about anybody else. Um, he doesn't do that anywhere else. Um, what he's doing, you, you hear, okay, this is a prison epistle. Paul wrote it from prison. He's, he, he was suffering for his faith as he writes this. But at the same time, he's writing to a church that is suffering for their faith. These people are, are under persecution. Um, that's, why they're, that's why they're being called to band together and there to be a unity among them because they were being persecuted. Um, this uh, Paul, you know, you hear a lot of times that the theme of Philippians is what? Joy. And I believe that's a great theme. I think it's, I think it's 20-something references to either joy or rejoicing or something along those lines. Um, it is a theme that continues through, but it's not. I just want you to know it's not just joy. It is joy in the face of adversity. It is joy in the midst of persecution. Paul, putting himself out before these people, he tells them several times, as you've seen me do, you do. Um, he tells them to be imitators of him. And, and I think the point of the joy is saying, listen, do you want to know something through Jesus Christ who strengthens you? Chapter number 4, verse 13. He said, you can do all things. You can have joy even in the midst of your persecution. You can be unified even in the midst of your diversity. You can stand firm, stand strong, even in the midst of struggles and problems. And you can have joy the whole time you're doing it. At the beginning of this book, he prays that God would, would mature them. He prays that they would grow and that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and understanding. Um, and I really believe that what he is saying to them, and he is presenting himself as an example of this, is that what Christian maturity looks like is that no matter what's going on in your life, there is something found in Christ Jesus that gives you joy. Folks, I believe that joy is a determining factor of the Christian faith that you say you claim. Grumpy Christians have some explaining to do. Because I believe if Jesus is in you, I don't care if you're in prison or if you're being persecuted. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you're poor. My friend, if you have Christ, you have every reason to have joy. And that's why joy permeates this book. Now, where we are here in chapter number 1, we're going to start in verse 27. But um, even, before, even before that, I want to... I just say one more thing. Paul, the, this church has a special place in Paul's heart. And he calls them something that he doesn't call any other church. And I, I think it's very, very applicable here um, to our, our situation where we are coming in to help your church for a week. He calls these people, um, and he says at the beginning of the book that, he, that, that they bring him great joy. And he, and he rejoices in them and he prays for them. And he calls them this. I want you to hear this word. He calls them He calls them partners with him in the gospel and i think those are great words um uh some some translations say that uh, you use the word fellowship in the gospel others call it a partnership in the gospel but paul looked at this church as people who had who he had come in and who with them that they had partnered together they were partners together for the sake of the gospel and I believe that what our little team of guys coming in here is, I, I believe that our goal is to come and to partner with you for the gospel. To come and to help you. To come and to come alongside what you're already doing. And to come and, and, and we're going to partner together. And I, I just want you to know something. There is no greater thing in all of the world we could partner together for than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. 
I mean nothing. And I just want you to know that our mentality as we are coming into your church is to come and to be a partner to you, to jump in the trench with you. I know we're not here very long. But folks, we are coming and we're going to come with some young guys who have some energy. They're much younger than me. They have more energy than me. Um, I should still have energy, but I, I don't have as much as I used to. But um, but still, we got some young guys coming in here, and 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 we're going to come with some energy, and we're going to come. We've been, me and Pastor, we've been going back and forth, and we've got a vision for this thing. Um, but but what it is is a partnership, and I, I want you to know that that's how we we view this, and uh, we take it very very seriously, and we don't see it as a right, we see it as a privilege. And so we're very grateful to you that you would allow us to come and to labor with you and to help you here in this little in this little part, this little northeast corner. Did I get that right? Of Royal Oak? Are we northeast? <laughs> I've been doing a little geography. Um, in this little in this little corner of Royal Oak, you know. And so let's look here at what it says. We're going to start in verse number twenty-seven. It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What does he mean by that statement? It's a statement, only let your conversation... The the word conversation doesn't mean the words of your mouth. Here in this context, it really means the words of your life. Let let, Let the way you live your life be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Um, It means let it be worthy. Let the way you live your life be worthy of the gospel you claim. Do you live a life that is worthy of the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is obviously the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news that God in His perfect plan from the very beginning, His plan has been all along to redeem a people to Himself. And his plan to do this was going to be through his son, Jesus Christ. And the good news is that even though we are messed up sinners, rebels against God who deserve hell, that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and he died so we could be saved. And if you are here today and you have been saved, I want you to know you are a walking, absolute walking miracle. Because God in his grace came to you and he opened up your eyes. He first saw you and He had compassion on you and He came and He opened up your eyes to see something you would have never been able to see, to believe something you would have never wanted to believe, to submit to something you would never want to submit to. Folks, if you're saved today, we are walking miracles. That's what we are. And here's the question that Paul puts out or that I put out from his statement as he gives this command Are you walking worthy of this? It's kind of like, um, I mean, I I don't know. I don't don't really have a good good comparison. But if you, I mean, it's like you're as privileged of a person on the face of this planet as, as anybody could ever be privileged. And are you walking worthy of it? Are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel you claim? Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, after three chapters of incredible teaching about the depths of God's plan in the gospel. And then the first verse of chapter 4, as he begins to get practical, is he says, you've got to live worthy of this. 
Live a life that's worthy of this. And that's what he says here in verse number 27. And then what he does is he tells us how it is that we can do this. And listen to what he says. He says, only let your conversation or your way of living your life be as it becometh or be worthy of the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Okay, so Paul wasn't with them. Paul was in prison in Rome. He says that whether I'm absent from you and I never see you again or else I do get to see you again, either way, I want to hear something. I want to hear rumor. I want to hear me in prison. I want to hear words of how things are going in Philippi. And this is what I want to hear. He says this, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now let's just stop right there. What does he say? He says that whether I ever get to come back and see you again or I'm absent and I never see you, he said, I want to hear that what's going on in the church at Philippi is that you are a people who are standing firm together. And then he turns around and he uses another word. We're going to talk about these two words. And that you're striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what Paul wanted to hear. Rumor of this church in Philippi. And these are two statements that I believe are going to show what it looks like for a person and for a church to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Um, These words that he uses, first of all, he uses a word that's kind of got a defensive stance terminology. When he says that you stand fast in one spirit, what does that word stand fast mean? It's a, it's a defensive stance. It's, a, it's a, the picture, an old, old medieval battle. You've got one army charging. You've got one army standing their ground. They're ready to march. They're ready to go. They're ready to charge, but their commanding officer is saying, hold your ground, soldiers. And they're defending the ground. They're, they're, they're letting the other army come, but they're going to stand firm. Why is Paul using this defensive terminology telling this church to stand firm? Well, folks, the reason is because this church, this little suffering church in Philippi, were under attack. They were being attacked. Now, here's my question for us today. Is this at all applicable to us? I mean, here we are in the United States of America. nobody's, Nobody's probably fearful as we sit here tonight. Anybody sneak to church tonight? Okay. Anybody here afraid that we're going to get caught? No, we're in the good old U.S. of A., right? But folks, I have a question. Are we under attack in this day and age in America? Now, we're not under attack to where we're afraid we're going to get arrested. But let me just tell you something. Our doctrine is under attack. Our doctrine is massively under attack. I just, um, I just got, I was just in a conversation. I was down in Southwest Detroit. I've got a coffee shop in Southwest Detroit that I've kind of adopted for the summer. It's kind of my spot where I go, and uh, and and all of the guys here have different spots that we kind of grab a hold of. And 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 I'm down in, in Mexican Town, and I'm over there, uh, right beside a uh, Clark Park. Uh, it's called Cafe Con Leche, and I'm just spending some time all summer there. A couple times a week, I have, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of settling in there, and um. And I'm just meeting people, and I'm getting into these conversations with people. And I just had a conversation with a guy this past week. And you know what? When I started talking about 
of what I believe, I just want you to know this guy went off on what I believe. He just started going off. He was kind of a um, uh, he, he was kind of a hipster, he was a Caucasian guy that's moved down into that area and um, went went to Wayne State and he's got a he's got a uh, he's got his degree in uh, social anthropology and he's a, a total total postmodern mindset. And I just want you to know he would be very spiritualistic. But when you start talking about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, which what I mean by that is that Jesus Christ said, there's no other way but, but through me. you got a guy who is, who is going to get, he, he starts getting picked off because all of a sudden you're saying that from his perspective, you're better than everybody else and everybody else is wrong and your way is right. And folks, I want you to understand something. The claims of Jesus Christ and his exclusivity, it's going to, it, it is under attack in the United States of America right now. This world is not a friend of our doctrine. This world, this America is not a friend of our Jesus. Um, just yesterday, we were down in River Rouge, and we had an event similar to what we had today. And I was talking to, I was talking to some people, inviting them out to a Bible study that they were getting ready to have. Um, it's called Christianity Explored, and it's getting ready to be a seven weeks Bible study. And I was inviting people to come, and I was just talking to people um, right here. This is this is America. It's a Christian nation. And I said, hey, you know what? You really ought to come to this because um, we live in what is supposedly a Christian nation, but most people in the United States don't even really know what Christianity is. Like if somebody were to ask you, um, what is Christianity? Would you know what to say? These people are going. And folks, I'm just telling you, our doctrine is under attack. Now, and I want to say this, and this is a little bit of a punchy statement. But I'm going to make it. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, you know what? I just, I don't feel like, I don't feel like, I don't feel any hostility towards our gospel. I don't feel any hostility. I mean, I go to work and I just feel like everybody's nice. And I just feel like everybody just accepts me just the way I am. I wonder how much you're really talking about your Jesus then. Because, folks, I want you to know something. You start spending time with neighbors. You start spending time in the workplace. You start being a person who is open about your faith and you talk about your Jesus, and you talk about His exclusive claims. And I'm not saying rude and obnoxious. I'm just talking. You're just trying to help people. And I just want you to know, you don't have to go far, and you're going to run into opposition. Because our doctrine is under attack. And so what is the command of Paul? Paul's command is, I want to hear rumor of you. This is how you live worthy of the gospel. That together as a church, you stand firm in one spirit. But then what he does is he turns right around and he gives another word. And I think this is the one that's probably the most applicable to us this week. Is he says this. Look at what he says. Verse number 27 still. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now look at this one. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what he does, he tells them at one time, I want to hear rumor that you are standing firm against the attacks. And then he says this, with one mind, that you're striving together. And what he gives here is, is very much an offensive terminology. He actually uses an athletic word. The first word he uses is more of a military standing fast. Now he uses a word that's an it's a, it's a athletic word. It's a word... That, 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 that's, that's speaking of the athletic world and how that a team, and everybody understands this. We're right in the middle of the World Cup. I don't know if you folks are paying any attention to the World Cup. 
Some of you going, uh, some of you going, uh. Um, I, I went downtown, me and some of the guys, we went downtown on Thursday afternoon. They played that game where U.S. was playing Germany on a big, huge screen downtown. I think, uh, I think uh, Quicken Loans put it on. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of people down there. And folks, let me tell you something. In this world of soccer, you cannot win. There, it's, not like, it's not like the NBA where maybe you got a, uh, you got one superstar who can carry a team. One person cannot carry a team in soccer. It is a team sport, and you have to play together. I don't care how good you are. If you don't play together, you'll lose. And, folks, the point is, is that Paul wanted to hear from these people, rumor, as he's in prison, that as they were standing, as they, as they were living a life worthy of the gospel, they were standing against the attacks, but they were coming together, and they were aggressively working together, striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. Folks, I really believe that the terminology here is that Paul was expecting them, even though they were under attack, don't just hide in your basement house church. But go be aggressive with the gospel. Go out into Philippi. Come together. Be encouraged together. But be proclaimers of the gospel in Philippi. Folks, I believe that this is an aggressive, striving, offensive terminology that a church is to do, and really get this, together. Not the pastor. Um, when that, when that, it's it's this. Okay, so that 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 army, they're standing their ground. The other army's charging. They're standing their ground. They're ready to go. The horses are stomping. They're ready to go, but they're being told to hold their ground. Then finally, the commanding officer says, "Charge!" And what happens? Does the the general and a couple other commanding officers, some leaders, they go and face the army? No, it's the whole army. It's got to be the whole church striving together for the faith of the gospel. What does this look like practically, okay? What does it look like practically? Um, Well, folks, the thing that's so awesome about a church is that a church is made up of people who all bring different, different gifts to the table. Um, everybody comes. That's why Paul, he uses the picture of a body. Okay, folks, I mean, my body is, 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 is full of all kinds of diverse parts. There's, there's, there's some things that there's only one of, uh, a lot of things that there's two of. I've got two hands, two feet, two knees, two ears, two eyes. Um, but but the, the bottom line is that a body, and Paul's use of this picture, needs to ex- explain a lot to us in all different facets of the church and then one of them is in, in this area of evangelism. That, folks, everybody has a part. Everybody has a part that you specifically are equipped for. We have gifts. I mean, a body. I mean, a body isn't going to work right if the whole body was made up of a whole bunch of hands. Wouldn't that be funny? My mouth was a hand. My ears, I had, for ears, I had more hands. My whole body was just hands. Everywhere hands. Well, what if my whole body was a mouth? You know, that'd be obnoxious. But, well, I mean, just my, everything, 
was just, no, folks, we're so full of diversity, and that's the body of Christ. Folks, did you know that you bring gifts to the table that that pastor doesn't have? You bring gifts to the table, ladies, that the men don't have. Men, you bring gifts to the table that the ladies don't have. Uh, teenagers, kids, you bring gifts that, other, that, that the adults don't have. Those of you who are older, you have gifts of experience that God has given to you that others don't have. Those who are young, you have gifts of energy that others don't have. Some of you have the gift of speaking. Some of you have the gift of serving. Some of you have the gift of, of thinking. Some of, all different types of things. And I know that you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going beyond the, the, the list of spiritual gifts. I'm just talking real practical the way we, that we come together. Folks, we all have things that we bring to the table. And here's the point of the body. Is that no part of the body is going to function right without the other parts of the body. Okay? If I, if I were just, some people think, well, I don't need the body. Okay, that, that would be like my thumb saying, I don't need the rest of you. So it just kind of dissects itself and goes about its little thumb existence. It's not going to work. It can't do anything. It can't function. It won't grow. My thumb needs my body. You need the church. It's how you grow. It's how you find your purpose for why God saved you. But then at the same time, listen to this. My body needs my thumb. I I need my thumb. I I need it. And I don't know if you have ever tapped into this before, folks, but I think you really, really need to. You need the church by God's design, but the church needs you by God's design to fulfill the roles that the church is supposed to fulfill. The church needs you. And God has given gifts to the church. And you know how He's given them to the church? He gave them to you. And when you come together to strive together for the faith of the gospel, it is so important for everybody to come to the table with your gifts saying, here's mine. Maybe you don't feel like it's much, but it's okay. You come with your widow's might if that's what you feel like it is. But I'm telling you, It's needed. You come with your limited abilities if that's what you feel like you have. Or you come with your abilities that maybe you would much prefer to spend on yourself. But you come say, here's my gifts. Here's my abilities. Here's my time. Here's my energy. And we all come together as a body and we strive together the faith of the gospel. Folks, you know what we're going to need on Saturday? We're going to need people who can cook. We're going to need people who can serve. We're going to need people who can, sure, talk, share the gospel. We're going to need people who are just giving of their time, giving of their energy, um, uh, giving of their of their of their abilities, their their mind. Uh, we, we need we need people who are just going to be thinking and on in tune and on board. We're, but you, you you know what we're going to need? This church on Saturdays is going to need the whole body. And if parts of the body don't get involved throughout this week, then it would kind of like just be a body trying to 
trying to fulfill its function that God's given it to fulfill without parts of the body. So my leg just decides not to show. My, my, my arm is like weighted down with other things. Folks, it hurts the whole body when the individuals don't see that, the God, that God's giftedness to them is for the sake of the body fulfilling its function. And here this week, we're looking at the body's responsibility to fulfill the function of evangelism. Now, folks, please understand, I don't believe for a second that, oh, here comes the evangelistic crew, and here's time for the church to do evangelism. Um, No, folks, evangelism is a way of life that the whole church does all the time. I just think that we're kind of coming in and just going to jump on board with you and help you do what you're already doing help you fulfill in just a little window um, some projects that I think are going to help the overall picture of where this church is already marching. We're going to come and jump on your train and give you some support and help, and I hope that we're an encouragement to you. Um, But folks, um, something like this takes everybody. And I want to encourage you, and I, I really believe that this passage of Scripture so speaks to a church striving, standing fast, striving together. But now I want you just real quick, I want you to, I want you to look real quick at, um, at what he says in verse number 28. I'm sorry, yeah, verse 28. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Um, I think what he does right there is he brings up perhaps the number one struggle that we have when it comes to being evangelistic. Let me just, let, let, let's do this real practical. I'll take five minutes here. I want to be, be really practical. Um, uh, or, or just in, in, how many of you ever get fearful when it comes time to share your faith with somebody? Let me see your hand. My hand's up too. And I do it all the time. And I still get fearful. Um, f- fear of what? You know, do you have a do you, f- fear? Fear of what? Let's just talk. I wouldn't put them on the board, but let's just let's talk. Fear of what? What are you afraid of? Let's, I mean, I, I can tell you twenty of why I get fearful. Well, what, fear fear of what? Rejection. Nobody likes to be rejected. Do you just love rejection? No, you hate it. Conflict. Yeah, but uh, conflict. I mean, this is your neighbor. Fear, fear of what? What else? Not being able to explain clearly? Not being able to answer all the questions? Um, let, me, let, let me ask this. Is there any such thing as a perfect presentation of the gospel? You, you, you get this little, this little set, you get this little spill down, and then they're going to say this. And then they're going to say this, and then you say this, and when they get done, you will not be rejected, and they get saved every time. Is there any such thing? Okay, so what you're telling me is there's no such a thing as you never getting rejected. That's why we get fearful. Folks, there's no such thing. Paul comes in, if you read in, if you read in, in, in Corinthians, he's re- recounting back to what it was like for him when he came into Corinth. You find it in what, Acts 17, 18, right in there? Um, he comes into Corinth, and he had been, had been in Philippi, arrested, beaten, 
um, uh, cast out. He goes to Thessalonica. They threaten him there. He goes to Berea. He, he, I mean, I mean, every everywhere he goes, he's going, and he comes limping into, he comes limping into Corinth. He comes into Corinth. He said we were, we we were a mess. He said we were fearful, we were hurting, and he said, you know, we came in and we didn't come into you with some, uh, some. Uh, words of man's wisdom. Basically, you know, he said, we didn't come to you with some fancy presentation of the gospel. We were pur- we purposed to know one thing among you. What was it? Christ and Him crucified. That's all we did. And you know that, Corinthian church. Folks, there is no such thing as a perfect presentation of the gospel. The bottom line, Paul said it to Timothy. He says that those who are going to be godly, they will pers- they will suffer persecution. You can just flat count on it. Jesus, what did he say? He, uh, I mean, he, uh, well, just listen to this passage right here. I mean, listen to what he says. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, just, just listen to that verse. Okay, D- he says there's gifts for you, okay? It's been given to you. Here's a gift. You like gifts? I mean, some people are like, no, 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 you shouldn't have it. I'm like, yeah, sure, what you got? I mean, I, I'm okay with gifts, all right? My birthday, I'm not shy. I'm like, uh-huh, what's next? All right. um, uh, it's been given to you. And then he tells us two gifts that have been given to you. Not only to believe. Now, that's your faith. That's your salvation. It's a gift. It's been granted to you. It's been given to you to believe, but not only to believe. Here's another one. You, how many of you are saved? Let me see your hand. Okay? How many of you are thankful you're saved? Say amen. Amen. Okay, we're thankful for our salvation, right? Man, am I thankful. But okay, so we love that gift. But then there's another one. It's been given to you on behalf of Christ, not only that you be saved, but here's another one. Are you ready? It's just as good. That you suffer for His sake. It's been given to you as a gift. It's granted to you. Do we see suffering as a gift? Do we see suffering rejection? That's all we would probably suffer in this country. But folks, Paul saw suffering being imprisoned for his faith as a gift. He sees this church being persecuted for their faith as a gift. He told Timothy, he said, don't be ashamed of the, of the, of the gospel. He said to be a partaker of the afflictions. Drink your cup. Drink ye all of it. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you. You want to be blessed? When you are persecuted and reviled and they say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and don't just be glad. Be exceeding glad. For so persecuted they, the prophets that were before you. He said your reward is going to be great in heaven. Folks, being rejected for the sake of Christ is not the crisis we live like it is it's actually according to the bible a privilege the disciples in the book of acts they get arrested they get beaten for preaching the gospel they get warned reprimanded and then released in the middle of the night and they're dancing through the streets they can't believe that they were counted worthy to to be beaten for the sake of christ Oh, folks, 
our American Christianity has some kickback. We love our freedom. But if we're not careful, we kind of get into this groove where, where we don't think we should ever have to suffer for our faith. But that's not real. All throughout Scripture, you find that those who are going to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, even if it's just the rejection of some family members or the rejection of some co-workers or the rejection of some neighbors. Folks, we can't live in fear of this. I had a statement told to me. I didn't get saved until I was 21 years old. I got saved out of kind of a rough background and I got saved at 21. I'm, I'm, I'm getting returned 40 this summer, so I've been I've been saved for I, I, I just I don't I don't feel like it's been that long. I guess it's been a little while, but um, I uh, shortly after I was saved, I had a man say to me, and I'll never forget it. I say it to myself all the time. This statement, Aaron, just because you experience the emotion of fear, does not mean that you have to be a coward. Folks, I experience the emotion of fear all the time. But I don't have to be a coward. By God's grace, I can open my mouth. And I have opened my mouth many times, and it didn't go so well. But folks, the more we do it, the better we get at explaining Christ. The more we do it, the more bold we get. The more we do it, folks, the results, Sometimes we think effective evangelism means people get saved. That's not true. Effective evangelism is us being obedient. God's in control of the harvest. But we must be people who are obedient. Obedient. This week we're going to work together. We're going to be doing lots of canvassing. Me and the guys are going to come out. We're going to be a part of your 4th of July parade. We're going to be working together. Um, we're going to be canvassing throughout. Uh, pastor's got it marked out, the areas we're going to be trying to hit. Um, I mean, what, uh, the thing that's unique about, unique about this is we're not knocking on doors trying to really get into gospel conversations. If it happens, it happens. But we're really just trying to invite them to come over for a community cookout that we're doing right here on the property. Um, it's, it, uh, it's, it, I, I did it all last. I've done it for the last two weeks pretty hardcore doing this in the, in the evenings. And I'm, I have yet to have a single person who was rude to me even. I'm just knocking on doors. I'm like, hey, have you heard about the community cookout? Man, we're just, we're, um, we're, we're down here from, you know, we're, we're here from Ambassador Baptist Church. And we're just, man, we're just trying to reach out to our community and just let you know that we're here and we care. And we're having bounce houses and, and cotton candy and snow cones. And, man, we just love for you to come down. And, and, and we'd love to, we're just trying to serve our community. And so we're just passing out some invitations. Please come down. But it's. It's a, you know, for the afternoon on Saturday, uh, the 5th of July. Um, I don't know what your plans are, but man, just come down. We got all kinds of stuff for your kids. Man, we're just, we're just here and we care. We're just trying to let people know that. I mean, you know what? Most people, when they hear that, um, even if they don't come, they're still not going to slam the door in your face. People are just kind and it's like, oh, hey, thank you. We appreciate that. We'll, we'll see if it'll work in our schedule. And folks, I don't know who we might would have come. But, but folks, it's those people who would come down here, then we get opportunities to serve them and love them and let them know what goes on here in the church and, 
and, and, and maybe then get into conversations with them and talk to them about how maybe we can pray for them and what kind of struggles are going on in their life. And then next thing you know, you find them opening up to you about and their, their understanding of the Bible starts coming out. Their understanding of God starts coming out. And next thing you know, you find yourself telling them that Jesus Christ is the answer. Um, folks, that's what we're kind of looking at this week. And so um, lots of work to be done. Um, uh, would you join us? Would you come? Would you give of your time? Would you work your schedule? Pray about it. Say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? We're going to pull this thing off, folks, by God's grace. By God's grace. Um, we're, we're, we're going to pull this thing off, and, and, and I really believe that God's going to, going, to, going to bless our efforts as we are faithful. And so let's, uh, let's give. Let's give and let's serve and let's pray. This needs prayer, massive prayer. Let's pray that God will work. As pastor, you come. And I will pray here that God will just, um, I'm sure you all have other things you're praying for, but tonight I also would love to throw out that we just pray that God will work. And uh, may we be people who are unified, standing fast, striving together, not afraid for the sake of the gospel. Pastor, you come.